0: Everyone, thanks for tuning into another episode of Pattern Recognition, a show that connects the dots that lead to good business decision making. I'm your host, John Hu, growth equity investor at Norwest Venture Partners and former investment banker at Goldman Sachs. So, before we get started today, I just wanted to ask a quick favor of you, and that if you are enjoying the show, I'd greatly appreciate if you could take two seconds to leave a rating and review. And in return, I promise you that this podcast will never ever have ads that you'll have to skip through. But getting back to today's episode, I am really excited to share with you our learnings today as we've spent extensive time talking through two different themes on the podcast. Number one being how to build a resonant consumer brand and number two being the diversity problem that the startup ecosystem faces. So that is why I am very excited to announce Sophia Amoruso as today's podcast guest, as Sophia is an absolute pro when it comes to building a resonant brand and someone who's also solving the gender gap as the founder of Girlboss. So, for those of you who haven't yet read Sophia's book, Hashtag Girlboss, or seen the accompanying Netflix show, Sophia started Nasty Gal as a vintage store on eBay and quickly scaled it to being one of the most well-known female e-commerce brands in the late 2000s. Now, eventually, the Nasty Gal brand ended up hitting a few road bumps, but as Sophia was winding down the business, she realized that there was a much larger opportunity ahead of her. And that opportunity was in empowering female business leaders in all of the ways that Sophia wished she had experienced as a first-time founder. Now, this all led to Sophia founding Girlboss, which is a new age professional network and media company dedicated to empowering women in business. So in today's podcast, Sophia and I reflect on her lessons learned during the Nasty Gal experience and how those experiences led Sophia to not only start Girlboss, but build the company's mission, team, and culture in a highly intentional and deliberate way. Additionally, we also discuss how Girlboss is creating a new age of media, as well as how all of us can help bridge the diversity gap. So why don't we get started? Hey, Sophia, how's it going?
1: Hey, John, how are you?
0: Doing great. I've been a huge fan of your work for a while now. So glad we could take some time.
1: Thank you so much. I've become a big fan of Lisa's on your team. So it's nice to connect with you as well.
0: Yeah, sure. So why don't we start with a brief background on your career up until Girl Boss? Because I think what the audience could most benefit from isn't necessarily hearing the nasty story as it would be from hearing about your lessons learned, just given I think your book and Netflix do a much better job telling that story than I could.
1: So I founded a company when I was twenty two called Nasty Gal. It was actually called Nasty Gal Vintage and I founded it in San Francisco. I'm in Los Angeles now, but actually up in the Bay Area, had no idea what venture capital was. I started my eBay store. First year did seventy five thousand dollars in revenue and the second year did two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in revenue. And then went from one point one million to six and a half to twenty eight million in a few years, totally bootstrapped, profitable, kind of out of the blue. So Index Ventures came knocking in 2012 and we're like, who are you? You're a freak. You don't have a credit card. You didn't go to college. You don't know what venture capital is. You don't know how to build a deck. Well, we'll build a deck for you because we want in. Here's a $350 million valuation. We'll put $50 million in. You'll own 80% of the company, but we're gonna value, at 10, yeah, value you at 10X your current revenue. And that was amazing you know, to have them come in Danny Reimer was on our board for a very long time. Really, really love him. But little did I know that having a valuation that high at such an early stage in commerce, especially in retail, because the multiples in retail should probably be different than pure technology, and ours wasn't. So we pulled a number out of the air and said, great, we're, gonna, we're doing $28 million this year. Next year, we'll do one twenty eight because that's just the way the company's been growing, right? And without much of a strategy, I think we expected the company to just continue quadrupling year over year. And eventually it did, but it didn't happen in just one year. And it took a lot more capital to get to over $100 million. And we eventually did. So I ran Nasty Gal for eight of the 10 years that I was involved with it. The last two, I hired a CEO because I just did not want to do that job. I'm a creative. I'm a marketer. I'm the CEO of small businesses. I'm not sure how far I'll go with Girl Boss today and I'll get into that, but I I mean I love it today. It's also a very different company and culture that I'm building from the ground up intentionally in ways that when you have something just explode and have no idea what company culture is because you're twenty two years old and have never had a boss before or never worked in an office. It's a really different experience than what I'm doing right now. So Nasty Girl went for a full decade. Eventually Cash got tight. You know, Urban Outfitters came in and offered a $400 million for the business. And I was advised to go back and negotiate for more. That went away. There's a lot of Hail Marys and people who are interested in investing in Nasty Gal. And there was a lot that like, you know, a lot of missteps that I made, a lot of executives that were probably the wrong hires, people I hired to run my company to a certain extent who ran it into the ground. But I do think that the valuation was a really big issue for us because we were too expensive to buy it any multiple, even at hundred million dollars in revenue. And for an investor who came in on the private equity side, who's maybe built maybe an apparel retail private equity firm, that multiple even, you know, four times our current valuation was still too high for them. And I think a lot of them were just told to go away by the people who had paid as much as they had paid back in twenty twelve. So Nasty Gal ended in chapter 11. I like to joke that my next book is going to be called chapter 12. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone will understand it. And I'm not trying to like harp on my past because what I'm onto now, it's been a couple years since I left Nasty Gal is really exciting and the future is really bright. But that was, it was a ride, right? It was a real ride. So the day Trump was elected was the day that Nasty Gal filed. And I just got up and started running, building this thing called Girl Boss, which had already started building itself. So, in 2014, in early 2014, I wrote had written a book called Girl Boss about this crazy story that I just described of this girl who is an accidental entrepreneur who should, for absolutely no reason, have built a company the size she had, but had eBay and PayPal and MySpace, and those were the tools at my disposal when I started my online store. And today, there's so many platforms like Shopify and Squarespace and Gusto and these incredible tools for you to start businesses with that so many women and people are starting small businesses with. At the time, there weren't really a lot of stories of those kinds of businesses happening, exploding on the, in, online in the way mine had. And the women who had written business books were largely really well pedigreed executives who had come up on the traditional career path who are incredible and inspiring but maybe not as relatable as my goofy story so the book just struck a chord never expected that to happen spent 18 weeks on the new york times bestseller list sold half a million copies hashtag GirlBost has been used 17 million times and took the book to 10 different cities back in 2014 and then the paperback a year later another you know 10 cities and watch thousands of girls line up to get their books signed. And what I watched them doing while they were standing in line was exchanging business cards. And this was a girl who's probably not an executive who probably doesn't have much of a network professionally, who doesn't know how to build one, where to build one, has maybe had a couple jobs. And for us, who are you know have fifteen years of career experience, we have the luxury of time and having built our careers. Yes, we've earned it, and we should. But there's a luxury to having the path, the career trajectory that, you know, someone like you or I have, not everybody ends up there. And for the woman who's a middle manager, you know, the pace that she's able to network and meet other people is only the speed of like her ability to really change jobs. So watch these girls turn bo- these book signings into networking events and thought, wow, okay, there's really something here. I can't do anything about it right now. I'm dealing with my struggling fashion business, but I'm going to figure that out. So started my podcast in 2015, Girl Boss Radio, which has like 450,000 monthly downloads now. And that was the one thing I did to nurture girl boss between, you know, twenty fourteen and early twenty seventeen when I started the company in Earnest as a business and raised a little bit of money.
0: That's wonderful. And I'm really excited to dive into your vision and mission for Girlboss. But before we do so, would love to reflect on some lessons learned at NASIGal. So you had mentioned before that as a first-time founder back in the day, there weren't nearly as many resources and tools like the Gustos or the Shopify's of the world to help entrepreneurs bootstrap their business. So as you think about all the women now who are joining the girl boss movement, what would be some of your lessons learned for them as they embark on their own careers or their own entrepreneurial
1: journeys? Gosh, everything. I mean, my advice would be just go do it, make a mess and figure out <laughs> figure <laughs> how to clean it up later, which is what I've done. And it's really painful, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. But I didn't have that network. You know, when I raised money in 2012, out of a growth, the first money in was out of a growth fund. I controlled the board, I had two seats, Danny had one, and that was it for a really long time, pretty much until the very end. And had no advisors, no smaller checks on our cap table, no angel checks, maybe a couple, like maybe a year or two before the end, and I'm sorry to my friends. But um, I didn't have enough eyes on my business. And when you only have your executives who you've hired and your investor who has, you know, a different relationship with your business than someone who's maybe a more objective source or friend, or maybe people who have operational experience. There were no people with operational experience who were looking at my business who weren't inside my business. So I had a pretty traditional kind of financial investor who would have been someone who would be extremely helpful if we you know, try to take the company public, who is extremely helpful in many ways. But the day-to-day issues that you're trying to solve when you're building a company, especially for the first time, you're going to have to make your own mistakes. But surrounding yourself with people who have either been in companies like that, built companies like that, I think is paramount. And then people who have invested in them is also great. You need those people too. But the day-to-day issues and problems that you're going to be try to be solving are going to be best solved with someone and people who have been there.
0: So to me, the consistent theme there is seeking out mentorship, right? Of finding peers or older mentors who have gone through the ringer before and know what it's like to have been in the lonely and challenging seat of a founder or a CEO and being able to provide counsel as well as an empathetic ear and I think the idea of mentorship and how empowering and comforting it can be parlays well into what you're building at Girlboss. So for starters, what are you building at Girlboss?
1: So Girlboss is a professional networking platform for ambitious women. And by professional, I just mean anybody who has a dream, right? What professional has meant has always felt a little bit, I guess, like old, like archaic or like I can be a professional at something that is actually my hobby. (laughs) Like those things can live together. That's being called, the headlines have looked like LinkedIn for women, which I've never really said out loud, but it is a place where you can have a beautiful profile that does showcase your work and career experience, but also who you are, who you are as a person, who you are on Instagram on weekends. So it's a place where you can bring a sense of your personality, your life, things that you would normally share on a resume to a place that really embraces all of you because we aren't LinkedIn Monday through Friday and Instagram on weekends, right? The world doesn't really work that way anymore. And this generation, you know, are starting businesses at like a lightning pace. They're freelancing, they're side hustling. And even if they come up in a traditional kind of career path, they have other ambitions, aspirations, interests, professionally and personally, talents that they could bring to the table even if they are just looking to join another large company. These are things that we all want to be sharing and showcasing about ourselves that we have no place to do. It looks weird on LinkedIn and it certainly doesn't belong on on Instagram. So this is a place where I want people to be able to bring their whole selves. It's built for women. it's open to everyone. It's called Girl Boss. so it's a certain kind of guy who's gonna show up and figure out if you know he can behave at the dinner table. And so far, they've been, everyone, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. It's like the Garden of Eden right now. We launched it about six weeks ago. And so it's a hybrid of a professional networking platform where you can connect with other people and browse other members and find them locally, by industry, and via other filters, as well as have conversations publicly. So there's a Reddit-style kind of forum, kind of Quora, Reddit, hybrid, where you can ask and answer questions about work, life, money, meeting up with people, entrepreneurship, switching jobs, negotiating, and you can sort all of our content by those tags. But it's really for ambitious people. It's just a place that broadly embraces ambition in whatever form you bring it.
0: And I've really loved how you've made Girlboss much more than just a professional network, right? It's much more experiential and holistic of a brand that incorporates quality content and conferences and a whole host of tools to really empower the community. So would love if you could talk more about how you're capitalizing on Girlboss's resonant brand and what exactly the company's business model is.
1: Yeah, so... To date, the way we've monetized the business has been through brand partnerships, but we're not a media company because we don't sell media. We don't have banner ads and boxes. We're not you know, selling things based on a CPM in the way that someone like BuzzFeed might be. We're doing really integrated brand partnership with brands like Tresemme, Sephora, Uber, Cadillac, BlackRock. We have a big program with BlackRock that is a newsletter series with financial wellness education that's delivered in a series of 12 and super super highly engaged and you know for someone like BlackRock the audience that they're able to access with Girl Boss of mostly millennial women who want to learn about money or for someone like Uber we did a program with them about women pitching their businesses right and if the story that BlackRock wants to tell or that Uber wants to tell encompasses a certain amount of like education or value that they can't tell themselves we're, we're able to do it with them to an audience that would be really really hard to access otherwise. I'd say Girl Boss has like the most engaged platform of ambitious women who want to learn about work and money just very squarely. And so those brand partnerships live across a variety of activations channels and so we do something called the Girl Boss Rally which is our annual conference, we just put on our fifth, and we're not five years old. So we did two a year until this year. But we had at UCLA, we had 1600 women from 30 countries and 40 states fly themselves in for two days of programming with 120 speakers. That's a lot of work. So it's this team is punching so far above our weight. But what we're really trying to do both, you know, through our podcast network, and we have something like five podcasts now, through what we do experientially, which is, you know, the girl boss rally. And then we actually have a custom retreat with Cadillac later this year or through the digital content that we create is to encompass the kind of feeling and conversations that happened at those book signings so long ago to bring women together, both to connect with one another and for them to create opportunity for one another, but also for us to harness our access and reach and my Rolodex and the incredible thought leaders we have and the brands that we work with, the employers that we can access and create opportunity from the top down in a way that our community is doing differently from the bottom up.
0: Wow, that gets me really excited about the future. And one of the things that you had mentioned before when walking through your lessons learned at Nasty Gal was culture. Where when you're an early 20s founder, there's really no understanding of what culture is and can be because it's all fairly touchy-feely, right? Yeah. And I would guess at least that one of the reasons why your team today, despite how lean it is, is able to make such an impact is because you're now being a lot more intentional around building a much more conscious and empowering culture internally. So could you talk through how you've gone about building your culture at Girlboss?
1: yeah well it starts with having done everything wrong because i think we like we learn things in our bones when we do it wrong we learn things at a different level when someone tells us what to do or not to do i wish someone had told me what not to do earlier on but i understand what makes for a great culture now having been through building a very accidental haphazard culture you know, I started an eBay store at 22. My last job was hourly checking student IDs at the Academy of University at 79 New Montgomery, which is like so weird going to San Francisco now and like walking <laughs> by the lobby that I like worked in just so I could get health insurance to get a hernia fixed. And like, oh man. And I went to you know, Code Advisors, right? Yeah. Quincy is a good friend. I went to his office for the first time. And he came to my wedding. Like, I I know Quincy well. I'd never been to his office and and this is just kind of a sorry this is like a departure but it's in the building of this building that has this massive lobby where people can just sit and eat lunch and it's not a co-working space it's free it's just open to the public i don't know how they keep homeless people out of there and they should have probably kept me out of there but i used to go eat my little subway sandwich there all the time in that like free lobby and didn't even think that there were offices and i just didn't even know what people in offices did right like i was 22 i just didn't i didn't I should have, I wish I had, (laughs) and got in the elevator of that building and went up to Quincy's office. And it was, this was a couple weeks ago. And still there's these kind of like pinch me moments of like, that's so weird that like my life, I could have still been in this. And you know what? I had some nostalgia for it. Like it wasn't a bad time eating my sandwich in that lobby, but what different lives we can lead from, you know, one decade to the next. Like I go to San Francisco, I'm just babbling now. I'll tell you later. So I learned a lot as that sandwich eating lobby dweller, never having had the kind of experience that most people who sign the leases of offices have, which was I, I just never worked in one. I hired cool mm. kids from Hate Street to pick out cute clothes, right? I didn't hire <laughs> an executive from Refinery29 who's most recently their SVP of content strategy and innovation. I looked for a different kind of person because I hired people I would like relate to rather than people who were right for the job because I didn't even know what the jobs to be done necessarily were. And I hired people and I had such a chip on my shoulder from being this kid who had like worked so hard and, you know, done years of this eBay grind by myself. Most of them made more money hourly than I had ever made hourly. And I thought like, if you're not walking faster than me, why am I paying you? Like, I'm not even making as much money as you hurry up or like, you should think the way I think or work the way I work. And a lot of people did, but that kind of like hustle grind culture doesn't really nurture the kind of environment that people feel really kind of like they can grow in, like they can eventually have families and their life can change within. It's a kind of very one note type of culture that, I created and it didn't scale. If you don't have intention in the beginning, whether it's with your business strategy or with what you want your culture to be like and you don't institute the things that will drive that from the beginning, it can't scale because it's not there. And if you try to jerry-rig it in once things are messed up, it really doesn't work because I figured that out. You know, eight years in at Nasty Gal, I woke up and was like, geez, I get this company culture thing, but I don't think I did it right. I guess maybe I can try to fix it. And once you have a few hundred employees, it's just, it's pretty impossible. So, with Girl Boss, I have incredible executives around me. I've hired former executives from Refinery and from Click Media Group, our VP Finance, Charlene, our CEO, Neha, who I mentioned was at Refinery, our head of brand partnerships. Katie also worked with her at Refinery. And then our VP of Product spent time at Google. But regardless of where people come from, just Working with exemplary executives is still new. I worked with people I really loved and who were really great, but the kind of alignment that these executives have and drive and the culture that, you know, we have 27 people. So yes, we're small, but that's also a place where, you know, holes start to pop up and you see silos and fiefdoms and, you know, the culture in New York could be different than the culture in LA because we have five, six people in New York. And that's not the case. So the kind of alignment that comes naturally to the people I've hired and the level of transparency and communication they provide and the high bar of accountability that they drive our team to execute on is remarkable. And I'm learning from it every day. And we're not, there are times of the year where we are grinding around the clock and that's to be expected in a startup, but people go home at the end of the day right? People log off. Most of them log off at the end of the day. Some of us are masochists and that's how we work and we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We we all work from home on Fridays. So the whole office is closed on Fridays. We work remotely. It's awesome. But everyone gets their job done. So, you know, instead of running around seeing whose desk is empty at 6pm and thinking they're not pulling their weight, like, you know, my 24 year old self may have, You know, I know everybody's getting their work done and I know they're pulling their weight, and I don't really care where they're doing it from as long as they're doing a great job, which they are and that they're happy. Right. And then collectively, it's just bred a pretty happy culture. That's not to say there aren't little things that pop up that we have to address quickly. But also in the past, those are things I would have just thrown up my hands and been like, oh, whatever, that person's just not the right person. And again, I'm working with executives who are like, no this is a coachable moment and we'll coach people and like, great. Didn't think it was going to work out a year ago, but here we are and, and she's doing great. And I'm glad that we retained her and that she was, that she was coachable. So I'm still learning ton every day, but it starts with surrounding, trying myself with the right people to set that kind of rhythm for the company with me.
0: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense and really resonates with a central theme of the podcast, which is that a company's success is rooted in hiring quality people and then giving them the space to explore their potential. And I think oftentimes for founders, it's really difficult to start letting go of certain operational tasks and some of the more granular activities in the business that they've gotten used to doing and instead saying, okay, you know, back in the day when I was successful in the early stages, I did this. But now, in order to scale, I need to trust my people, hire the right talent, and allow them to run with it so that I can seek out my new comparative advantage as a CEO. So it's really awesome to watch you do so at Girlboss. But one question I think a lot of non-technical founders struggle with is with product, right? And given you're building a technology product here, a social network, and a new-age media company, how have you gone about feeling comfortable scaling the technology without being deep in the code?
1: Well, it's built in Node.js and cloud services, and I hope it's modular and we're cleaning up the tech jet. That's all I know, really.
0: Hey, well, you used all the buzzwords there, Sophia, so I think you're good to
1: go. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. we're building in React, so we're in good shape. <laughs> oh, and there's lots of APIs, so um, we can move <laughs> real quickly. <laughs> like, that's my, that's where I kind of top off. <laughs> I'm a saying product person. I don't even know if that's fair because I've spent time with people with product experience and I don't have chops that, you know, someone who's run product and built products in the past do or have. But I have a really natural, I guess I have a, a relationship with this girl who is very much the girl who I dressed for a decade of my career to whom buying a motorcycle jacket was a signal to herself that she could be more confident. It wasn't a motorcycle jacket. It was a promise to her future that she could be a little bit more bold, right? It wasn't about the clothing. And that was the conversation I had and the feeling I created with everything that we did at Nasty Y'all from the casting of the models to the language that we use to the product itself. And while this is a totally different product, the world that I've been able to create and that I do that is this kind of mirror for women to see themselves yes online no not now through clothing but a mirror for you know what their near future could look like that's aspirational but still accessible you know I'm from Sacramento <laughs> I am that girl in many ways we all want something to look up to but we so much of what we look up to and the leaders we look up to and the executives that we're told to follow and the celebrities that we think are pretty are just they just feel like so untouchable. And so with Girl Boss, I'm providing that kind of the same feeling, I guess, of accessibility while also this feeling of, wow, I can really accomplish something. Like I could be a little bit better tomorrow than I am today. I could achieve a little bit more. Six months from now I could be more like her whether that's the model who has a little bit more confidence than you might and her style's a little bit more developed or the woman whose profile you just stumbled across who is a little bit more senior in your industry than you are, who you can look up to as a role model, right? Role models don't have to be light years ahead of us. And so kind of want to reframe what that looks like and provide that in all directions for our community. This is a really like long way and non-specific way of saying, I really like being involved with the product. I don't understand technology. I have a lot of great advice. Advisors, investors, initialized. Vince over at Initialized has been great. Who's their engineering partner. Lots and lots of really smart people who are helping me hire and sort through You know how to build something that's going to be really beautiful as we scale. I want to be the founder who isn't in the weeds all day. Right now, I still am with the product. I'm not with our partnerships business with a lot of the content we create. But the product is we are six weeks in. It's very, very new. And the team that's focused full time on that is still relatively small. And what I'm trying to do right now is hire some pretty great engineering leadership talent. So VPN, your CTO, as well as a head of product who can hopefully wrangle, just pull it out of my little hands and say, no, we got this. You know, hey, tell us your vision. We're going to go and then let's set the strategy together. And then I'm going to go do this roadmap thing and bring some great stuff back to you and like move faster than we'd be able to if you were the bottleneck that you would prefer to be Sophia. I know that I need to extricate myself from the weeds, but that can only happen, I think, when we have the right leadership in place.
0: Yeah, that's great. It's all about hiring quality talent and trusting that talent. So, for any CTO or VP engineering candidates out there in the audience, Girl Boss is hiring. Awesome. <laughs> so, Sophia, earlier you had mentioned that you're not sure how long you'd like to sit as the CEO of Girl Boss, as it sounds like you're more focused on the larger strategic picture as opposed to the day to day execution. So I'm curious how you think about Girlboss's brand within the context of your own personal brand, right? How do you think about the brand scaling beyond the brand that you've built for yourself?
1: So I'd say Girlboss has already scaled far beyond my personal brand. And I started Girlboss because I didn't want to scale my personal brand. Like I have one by nature of having written a few books and there being a TV series made about my life. And like a bunch of stuff, but that's something that I could never exit, right? Like that's fine. I can do it. If I could delete my Instagram today, I would, but I can't. And it's great. It's a luxury to have that platform and the megaphone that I have. And I use my access pretty strategically in terms of the press and, you know, my audience and, and all of that. But if I wanted to go be talent for the rest of my life, I'd just go churn out a bunch of books and make like a fan club for myself and uh, travel around the world doing speaking engagements. And you know, and that could be a really, really great path, but I'm a mass kiss and I understand enterprise value. And I know that the opportunity for girl boss is so much greater than what I would be able to achieve by myself. And it's something that I want to live far beyond myself. And so, yeah, my choice was to build a business around Girl Boss, not around myself. Like I'm happy to be the kind of Pied Piper where I need to be, but as little as I can be, I actually prefer for it not to be about me. The vision for Girl Boss is to build the largest online and, you know, offline. How we'll connect beyond our conferences, offline, I think is still TBD. But the largest professional network of women in the world. Right. It's just such a wide open space. And um, what we're doing, you know, there's plenty, plenty of room in the U.S. But when I get emails from a woman in Indonesia who's asking me, hey, I want to talk to my husband about getting a job. Like, I really want to work. I just, I really, really want to work, but I'm not supposed to in my country and I don't have anyone to talk to. And then another woman writes me three weeks later and she's like, I don't know who to talk to. I'm so alone on this like island of, Culture where these things aren't talked about and aren't normal, but hey, I have these ambitions and they come to me asking these questions, they should be talking to one another. If we're able to do that globally, our impact can be so huge because, in many ways, the stuff that we're dealing with in comparison, we're really spoiled. Women, you know, there's a lot of work to do here in the US with women, but globally, there's a lot more to do. And so it's just, I just see the opportunity and how big the purpose is we're just laying everywhere. <laughs> just like laying all over everything, coding everything. And it's like, and that, I guess, color. And to me, that's kind of what we're on our way to building. It's very early, but it's ours to lose.
0: And how should men who are excited about Girlboss's mission get involved and support the movement?
1: Well, tell your girlfriend, tell your wife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just be an ally, listen, make sure in the workplace that the women in your meetings are speaking up. And if they're not, just say like, Hey, what do you think? You know, help encourage them to speak up because that's not something that we've been really taught to do. And yeah, I'd say just like, make sure that you're including women, right? Wherever you are, because you have access that we don't, and you're invited to places that we aren't and make sure that where in the workplace you are, you know, getting together with people, like maybe it's an environment that like everyone would feel comfortable. You know, there is the quote unquote old boys club and a lot of business was done over drinks and over golf and things that are even less savory and just where work is done to a certain extent, I think has to change when it's done outside of the office. I'd say just like listen and know that the women that you're working with are working in a world that wasn't built for them. It was built for you. Yeah, That's something that I think we're just waking up to and is changing, but can't change that quickly.
0: And Sophia, shifting to the last part of the podcast, which centers around the title, which is pattern recognition. What are some consistent patterns or themes you've noted in successful diversity-driven initiatives?
1: I mean one pattern in terms of, you know, diversity and inclusion, I mean, we're speaking to women, right? That's what we do at Girl Boss. So I think that just and that is all women of all kinds. We work with brands and we listen to, you know, how they want to talk to women. And the pattern I'm hearing is that employer brand and consumer brand are becoming one and the same. So what sells Coca-Cola is also the benefits that Coke offers to women. You know Those are different budgets, but even the marketing arms of these companies really do want to share the values of their businesses and the efforts that they're making for the women inside their companies. That matters a lot to them. and they don't have a place to share that in the same way that they can with Girl Boss and they look to us to help legitimize and evangelize these often really big efforts that these companies are making which is a big it's a big opportunity for us both on the consumer side and the enterprise side we're only working with brands on the consumer side but you know I know that millennials care about the culture inside of Uber when they choose which app to open to book a shared ride right
0: Yeah, I mean, Delete Uber was huge. And I'm glad that you put that symbiosis of brand together for us, where in my generation and those younger, bringing your full self to work means being proud of the company and brand you work for, because it says something about who you are, right? It's so, so critical for us to ask ourselves, not only are we fulfilled in our day-to-day, but also are we making an impact or are we making the world a better place, right? Is this company I'm working for championing diversity or what does this company's brand say about me? Mm -hmm. And that's becoming more and more top of mind for employees as they think about their career decisions. and. That actually leads me to my next question, which is around advice to your younger self. So we've talked about some lessons around Nassigal of just doing it, of, you know, just sending it for lack of a better term. But are there any other pieces of advice you'd give your younger self?
1: I just say the only difference between the people who are doing what you want to be doing is that they're doing it. And I can't tell you how many people like read my book and then run up to me and said like, you inspired me to quit my job or you inspired my girlfriend to quit her job. And now she's like doing great. No one has ever come up to me and said, you inspired me to quit my job and like ruin my life. So if there's something that you want, or you think that there's something that you can have, or if you want to switch paths, like life is short, do it. I've had a reckless (laughs) career. In many ways, like I've made choices because they would write a good book sometimes. Like, just like, that's a cool legacy. This is gonna be a mess and it's gonna hurt, but you know what? Like, it's great content. And I'm gonna have a great story when I'm old. As the more you can cast yourself into the person that, you know, five years from now, who looks back at your young self and scoffs at the things that you used to take really seriously and worry about, the more you can give yourself that kind of perspective, I think the easier everything that you're doing every day that is totally terrifying for all of us, including myself, can become. That's
0: wonderful. And I can't echo that enough where if you just do it, if you just commit and work hard at some point, you'll end up okay. Well then Sophia, that's about all the time we've got for today. So I appreciate you joining the podcast.
1: Okay, take care, John.
0: Once again, a big thank you to Sophia for joining us today. If you're at all looking to enjoy the mentorship and empowerment at Girlboss, I'd highly encourage you to sign up for the network today. If you'd like to learn more about Sophia, I've included some info in the show notes on the podcast website at patternrecognitionpod.com. Now, we've also got a whole host of diverse founders joining the show in the coming weeks, including Reshma Saujani of Girls Who Code. So I've tweeted out that whole list of upcoming guests and would love for you to tweet in your questions so that I can give you a shout out during those interviews. You can tweet at me at John Heazy. That's J-O-H-N-H-E-E-Z-Y. So thank you all for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.